Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division One college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we break down the past week of Division One women's college tennis action and Boy, was it a juicy one. Over the course of the past seven days, we had conference tournaments across the country. Number one undefeated teams defeated for the first time. So many storylines for us to get into here on tonight's show. And if we plan on breaking everything down from the Division One Women's College Tennis World. You know who's going to be joining me on this show to help do exactly that. It's the man who's joined me each and every week throughout the course of this 2023 college tennis season. A man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket shows. A man who founded the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast. A man whose voice you may recognize from an ACC cross-court cast brought to you it is our dearest friend john j parsons joining us once again jay hey great shot welcome back to the show on a scale of one to vindicated how are you feeling here today vindicated i mean preseason national champions delivering <laughs> the goods my friend after i had mocked you dare i say from backing away from that pick you stuck to your guns it paid dividends well that was an NCAA pick, right? We did not get as granular as who will win the ACC tournament conference. Fair. But yeah, that pick is aging well. We will see how it turns out. Look, uh, you know what they say about a broken clock. <laughs> it's a philosophy we believe in quite strongly here at Cracked Rackets. And of course, again, we're going to break it all down this week. Not just the fact that NC State earns a definitive victory over number one UNC in that ACC tournament final. But of course, we want to talk about all the NCAA implications from that ACC tournament. We want to break down everything that happened in the SEC, including Georgia getting a little bit of revenge on Texas, M, uh, Texas A&M excuse me, in that SEC final. I assume at some point in this podcast, I'll learn how to speak properly. And if I do, not only will we break down those two conferences, we'll talk about everything that happened in the Big 12, talk about a lot of relevant non-Power 5 conference tournament results that will certainly have implications on the NCAA field we end up seeing. We'll talk 
about the last weekend in Big Ten Pac-12 regular season play preview. Those conference tournaments will get into everything, including a little bubble watch here on today's show. It's going to be jam-packed. We are certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy it, of course. Before we get into any of our thoughts, though, we got to give a massive shout-out to all of you. Players, coaches, fans who make doing these shows week in, week out so enjoyable. We've hit the season's home stretch as such. We know it's our job. Preview the NCAA field. Yes, there will be selection shows next week. We haven't discussed them yet amongst myself, Jay, and Chris, but we'll figure out exactly what that looks like. Of course, we'll have extended coverage of the 2023 NCAA tournament as well. Looking forward to a few announcements on that front coming up here shortly from our CR team. And of course, we'll continue to have weekly deciding points, breaking everything down through the season's end. Of course, the other people we got to shout out. Before we get into anything, are the sponsors who make this show possible. First, of course, a massive thank you, a massive shout out to our dear friends at Turna. They're the OG sponsors. They've been with this Great Shot podcast from the beginning. They've been in the tennis industry from the beginning. Again, Turna grips are synonymous with grips everywhere. You see that iconic blue color on the butt of a player's racket, you know immediately, oh, they're using Turna grip. And to be honest, you should as well. You know precisely how that turn of grip is going to play. They've taken things to the next level, though. They've introduced their newest product, the Turna Tough Grip. Simply put, it's a more durable version of the original Turna Grip. Still gets tackier as you sweat. Still has that iconic blue color. And the best part is you can find Turna Grip everywhere you shop for your tennis supplies. Make the switch to Turna today. Turna, proud sponsors of every week's episodes of The Deciding Point. Of course, a massive shout out to our dear friends at LS as well. They've outfitted at least me, so well throughout the course of this season. And they can outfit you as well, whether it be the hoodie, whether it be the collared shirt, whether it be the dry fit. Alice has an immense catalog, and you can look good in their clothing. It's going to make you feel good and certainly play good on court when you rock it. We are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at LS. You can see the full catalog they offer by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast. LS, proud sponsors of each and every week's episode of The Deciding Point. All right, Jay, with all of that established, there's only one place we can start tonight's show. And it's with the fact that the NCAA title race is officially on as number one undefeated national indoor champions, UNC, knocked off for the very first time this season by NC State. NC State, not just earning a 4-1 victory overall, Jay, they win doubles, dropping just three games Between the number two and three doubles positions, they take five first sets in this match as well. They earn three straight set victories on their way to their first ACC tournament title in program history. I joke about this in a Cracked Interviews podcast. All of you can go listen to where I am speaking with the one and only head coach of the NC State Women's Tennis Program, Simon Earnshaw. But again, Jay, There are not that many firsts left for Coach Earnshaw and this NC State women's program to accomplish. Coach Earnshaw, already the winningest coach in program history. The team produced their first NCAA champions last year in Jada Daniel and Nell Miller. They reached the semifinals of the NCAAs for the first time in 2021. Quarterfinalists again last year. 
no All-Americans really before 2019. Now they've had a wave of All-Americans since. I mean, again, we had yet to see this season, whether it be due to the eligibility issues early on of Diana Schneider. The team loses to Vanderbilt. We don't see them at the national indoors. They don't have Schneider in their matchup with UNC following her victory over Kudermatova in Charleston this season, uh, earlier this season. We saw them play really well against Texas. We certainly saw them play really well in victories over Georgia Tech and Florida State earlier in this ACC tournament event. We had not seen ACC, uh, excuse me, NC State throw their fastball. They threw it in this match. Sweet baby Rays, Jay. If you were wondering, is there a team on the North Carolina level this season? You can't look at a result like this and answer that question in any other fashion than absolutely NC State's now on the level. Yeah, and it really sent, you know, a a jolt of enthusiasm and excitement into that conversation, right? Because we were hurtling towards a undefeated North Carolina who's run the table in their regular season, in the postseason. And you have that sort of awkward conversation of they seem like it is inevitable that they will win this NCAA title. And then it's just a question of North Carolina versus themselves, which is a far less fun conversation to have than North Carolina against other teams who have risen to the occasion. And this is why we were also disappointed by Diana Schneider's absence in that match in Chapel Hill, because this is the team that you feel like from a calculus perspective, you know, has the right calculus to beat North Carolina. And we certainly saw that come to fruition on Sunday and they didn't just beat North Carolina four, three, and these two teams are feeling, you know, dead even. I mean, they ran away with this match. There was not a single momentum shift in this match where you went, wow, North Carolina is going to take it. I mean, after a few games in doubles, it was all NC state. It was all downhill for them. It was an incredible performance across almost every single you know player on their lineup. And now it makes the postseason conversation a lot more interesting. Yeah. And I think I said, <clears throat> excuse me, five first sets should have said four first sets because Yarlagata uh, and Brant Meyer take their first sets for UNC or no, does uh, no, Dittman, uh, no, Dittman it was take five that first set, sets, right? She takes seven, a 10, six eight. in the tie break. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm not crazy. I don't know why I was, my brain was, I was like, I know it's five first sets and I do have to give a shout out earlier today. The NC State stats were not updated for the season. Simon Earnshaw calls it out on the podcast. They are updated like six hours later. So shout out to the NC State team. They are on top of their business. Look, we talk about the system. We talk about the pronounced success NC State has had in doubles over the past few seasons. This has been a year where they have played 11 different combinations, whether it be due to absences because of dates, due to absences because of injury, due to absences because I'm going and beating the number 11 player in the world this week. And respectfully, I'm going to do that instead of play college tennis. A legitimate excuse, I think, if there ever was one. Um Because of those reasons, we haven't really seen NC State flex their muscles in a doubles point the way they unequivocally did in this match. And it's not just to win a doubles point. It's to see Miller and Rejecki, who are probably going to lobby to play every match at the Cary Tennis Park because they win All-Americans there. They beat Tan Gillig and Crawley 6-1 here this past match. 
it's a place where they play their best tennis. To see that result, to see Abrams and Rinchelli beat a Tran and Forbes team that had lost one match all season long, this epitomizes that pronounced success we've seen from NC State throughout the course of the past few seasons. You know, at that point, good luck finding four singles victories against this team because outdoors, Diana Schneider is playing as promised to beat Fiona Crawley two and one. That doesn't happen ever. And that's an exclamation point. Look, for Sophie Abrams to get a massive victory at the number five spot, straight sets over Scotty, obviously that was the clinch. But to me, the real thing is just how good Amelia Rejecki has been this season. She's now 19-3 and three overall in singles. Her and Miller are top 10 doubles team or top 11, whatever, doubles team in the country. I mean, to beat Carson Tangillig 6-3-6-1, that doesn't happen. That, to me, is the exclamation point in this match, Jay. That, to me, is the moment where I thought to myself, not just taking doubles and five first sets, but to see that result over the finish line as quickly as it was, that's where you begin to think, oh, my God, they're going to win this match, and it might not be close. Yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rejecki has been the inflection point for this NC State team the entire season. When she loses, they lose, right? Vanderbilt, Miami, uh, one other one, I think. Um, but, you know, she... UNC, but that doesn't really count. Well, yeah. she had won that first though. set. Yeah, yeah and, and it was... But yes, yeah. carry on. Uh, you know, her upside is incredibly high, right? And you started to see her tap into that potential this past fall. You started to see the the fall that she had. I Six- don't mean to interrupt you, but when you say her upside is extraordinarily high, we don't do this frequently enough. I want to nerd out for a little bit. She hits the hell out of the ball. Like, yeah. let's be clear. When we say upside is, is high, let's nerd out and talk tennis. Aggression is not the issue. Weapons is not a problem. And the movement is now to a point where she can assert herself in every match, regardless of opponent. Case in point, she takes the first set of her Brantmeyer 7-6. It's the epitomization of us now seeing that upside we talked about. It's just, sorry, Jay, we don't get into the specifics of the tennis because we have so much tennis to discuss. But in this instance, I think it's important to say you're absolutely right. That firepower was always evident. It just all clicks now. Yeah. And when it's all clicking, she'll take the racket out of your hand, particularly at, at three singles. Right. Maybe it's different if she's playing a Fiona Crawley, who just from a, you know, the a defense perspective and being able to absorb that power. But that is different. Right. Even against a Carson Tangillick, who's an incredible athlete. Right. I mean, she'll take the racket out of your hand and she will hit winners from the baseline in a way that you don't see uh, at anywhere else other than maybe Diana Schneider at number <laughs> one. Sure. So when that's clicking, you know, she is a top 15 you know, level player in college tennis. And I believe that pretty strongly. So that is that was it was a great victory for her. Um, but so was Sophie Abrams, right? Over Elizabeth Scotty. I thought that she played incredible tennis. I think Sophie Abrams started the season incredibly hot, cooled down a little bit, and ultimately is finishing really strong here. I thought she played lights out tennis towards the end of that second set. And I'm sure she was nervous, but it didn't didn't show at all. I mean, she was still hitting winners late in that second set to get the clinch. Yeah. And again, now that I know I'm 100% correct in my initial assumption, Dittman taking a 7-6 set over Yarlagata 
is so impressive. And Abrams and Dittman have been really good at the five and six spot there. You know, this team, or excuse me, Abrams 14 and seven overall. Uh, Dittman so far this season, 17 and six. Yeah, this team's extraordinarily deep. Back in January, when she's playing soccer three sets, you saw, thought to yourself, Schneider's going to be a lock. And when you're getting two and one wins over someone like Fiona Crawley, that sort of promise is now being capitalized upon. This team is extraordinary. You know, again, Alana Smith takes a rare straight set loss to Brantmeyer. That has not happened all season long. And this team, even in an Alana Smith loss, still manages to get over the finish line. I think for a lot of the season, we projected. This team could be that good. Talking to head coach Simon Earnshaw, they certainly believed they had the talent to be this good on campus. Now you see that actualized. Now you get that definitive victory. You are the team that has beaten North Carolina this season. It automatically elevates you into the inner circle, into the conversation. And yes, we had them there before, but now you have the data point to explain why they to be there moving forward. And Look, the race to who's going to be the two and three seed, who's going to be that semifinal or quarterfinal opponent for North Carolina. That's maybe the most interesting subplot of the NCAA tournament draw. But this is a massive moment for this North Carolina State team. No doubt about it. And I mean, I'll offer you, I suppose, the final word on this. It's a hell of a win. It's a program-defining win, right? Yeah. It's their first win over North Carolina since 1999. It's the first ACC tournament uh, title. You know, a few things to note. One, it was great to see Diana Schneider. One, the crowd was awesome, right? There yeah. was a very large crowd. The Cary Tennis Center looked fantastic. With it the was crowd. chippy. It was a chippy match in the best sense of the word. It was spirited. It was energetic. I mean, the battle on court four was special and just everything college tennis can be at its best. But yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were seeing comments. People are agreeing with you in the chat right now, Jay. A very spirited crowd in Cary. And Cary made the case for hosting NTA someday over the course of the past weekend. It's an interesting take. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the crowd was fantastic. I mean, Schneider was engaged, right? I think the crowd playing number one, she was up for this match in a way that she was clearly not up for some of the matches against Alexa Noel of Miami, Chloe Beck of Duke. It was a very different Schneider. Fiona Crawley played extremely well. There was just nothing that she was able to do. That that match, despite the scoreline, I thought lived up to the hype. It was a really high-quality match. So program-defining win for NC State. Now they enter new territory, right? Arguably the favorite coming in here to NCAA play. I don't know if they've been there before, right? Well, they haven't. And um, that's a different position for them to be in. So it's a high class problem for them to have now. There are other coaches doing as good of a job. No one's doing better than what Simon Earnshaw, David, and what just down what they're doing down in Raleigh at this NC State program, the recruiting, the development, just every facet this NC State program is clicking. It's a great thing for college tennis. And certainly they are now in the tier 1A inner circle discussion. Are they the clear-cut favorites, though? I don't think I can say that. And I do think we should talk about the North Carolina side of things because let's be clear. You look at the ACC tournament more broadly. North Carolina cruised to the finals. 
4-0 win for UNC over UVA in the semis, 4-0 over Wake in the quarters that weren't really challenged against, I thought, a solid Wake team. Got a really good win over Notre Dame the day prior. Nope, UNC gives them business for the second time in about two weeks. Yes. You know, again, it's twofold. If you're NC State, you won doubles in five first sets. And while you would love to replicate that, if you play North Carolina again, the the biggest compliment you can be, give NC State is that to beat North Carolina, they don't even have to play that well again. It doesn't have to be three games dropped in doubles. You can win a 6-4 set and a breaker. You can win a three-set match in singles and still find your way to four points. That is absolutely what elevates NC State in this conversation. On the flip side... If you're UNC, the burden of being the undefeated, unequivocal favorites, remove from your shoulders. And like this loss wasn't in the NCAAs. This loss was in the ACC tournament. And while it will certainly sting, you now have two weeks of no matches and then two weeks of still high intensity, but matches they will be comfortable favorites to win to reevaluate yourself and kind of say, let's get rocking and rolling. Like there is a team as good as us. We need to get our edge back again. Dare I say, Jay, this loss, maybe I'm glass half full here. A little bit of a blessing for the Tar Heels, right? To happen in April and not May. Yeah, I mean, this could be the best thing to ever happen to North Carolina, right? Because running through the ACC tournament, maybe it was a Schneiderless, you know, ACC tournament. They run through it. They show up to NCAAs and this happens to them, right? And that would be, you know, worst case scenario. Having this happen in April where you don't win your, I don't know, 10th, 11th, 15th ACC title, like that's not the worst thing in the world. On the flip side, we have not seen this North Carolina team react well to losing. Last season, it felt like the wheels came off towards the end of the season. They lost to Duke, they lost to Virginia, and then they lost in another NCAA semifinal, their third straight. So we'll have to see. I mean, that's the open question, right? How do they react to this? How does North Carolina come back from this uh, from this loss? But I think the difference in this instance is those that Duke loss was really close. That Virginia loss was really close. And I think those losses can be disputed spiriting in a way that I mean they got smacked in the face and like that's just a wake-up call that's you just got your head dunked in cold water oh my god we like I I just I just think it's the context of this loss being so different it's not demoralizing it's all right guys like we are going to have to play our best and I do think that's a positive in the sense of I, I don't know if it's like a pressure relief but it's like there's a team clearly as good as us. So now they get to chase a little bit more than being chased. And I just think that's easier. I mean, that's the same thing that happened last season. That Duke loss was 5-2. It was much closer than this NC State loss. The Virginia loss was close. But if you're saying that the takeaway is there are teams as good as us, there were a lot of teams as good as them last year. And yeah, but, coming but, into were, this- but that's why I didn't feel like they were an unequivocal favorite going into NCAAs last year because there were so many teams on the level and the end of last year kind of exposed that fact. I think it's different this year in the context that it's just kind of NC State. But but again, it's like, but this NC State team, they might be better than us. And now we get to chase that. It's just I, I think the context of the two scenarios are a little different. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think it's a distinction without a difference. I think ultimately this this happens to North Carolina almost every year, right? Where they look unbeatable for the majority of the season. And then there are teams that catch up to them and beat them in the NCAA tournament. The benefit of this is that it happened earlier, right? Now that has happened again. It happened last season where they went undefeated until they lost to Duke. I'm just saying it can cut either way and we don't know how it will cut. The only proof that we've seen is that it will not end well. Yeah, I don't, again, I just, it's something about the way they lost this match. I've never seen a Carolina team lose doubles in five first sets. And I just am excited to see how this group will respond because I do think this group will respond. And again, the most interesting subplot is seeing where these two teams end up ultimately landing, of course, in the NCAA tournament draw. But man, credit to NC State. They put together a heck of a performance. It was a heck of a Sunday match. 4-1 wins. First ACC tournament title for Coach Earnshaw and the Wolfpack. And well-deserved, again, given their rise really since that 2018-2019 season. Really since Coach Earnshaw arrived on campus. That said, let's move to the rest of the ACC results we saw at the event. You know, I mentioned some of them earlier. NC State comfortable wins over Georgia Tech, Florida State in shutout fashion, sort of epitomizing them clicking on all cylinder. They dropped one point on their way to the ACC tournament title, Jay. That's nuts. The other two notable results. Wait, who dropped a point? Uh, just NC State, just one point. To UNC, that Reese Brantmeyer win over oh, Elias. Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, the yeah. only point they dropped yeah. all tournament long. But they got an extra point because they got five zero over Georgia that's... Tech. So you know <laughs> it evens it evens out. Well, I, some scholars are arguing, Jay. Um, I would say three results notable from the rest of this ACC tournament. Quickly, that I'm curious your thoughts on Georgia Tech. 4-3 over Duke, albeit a backless Duke, who is off making the quarterfinals at the 100K in Charleston. Hell of a week for Chloe Beck, considering she hadn't played a pro event in six years. Um, you had Virginia's 4-3 win over Miami. Annabelle Shue elevating herself to the number three single spot by the end of the week. That felt relevant. And then the last one, Boston College was right there in the NCAA tournament hunt. Dropped a really tough doubles point, really tough match at Notre Dame in the final weekend of the ACC regular season. They dropped a heartbreaker to Louisville 4-3 to kind of end their uh, NCAA tournament hopes. Those are the three that stood out to me. Thoughts on everything you see on our board? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the three you circle. I don't put too much stock in the Georgia Tech win over Duke given that they were absent Chloe Beck, which was, you know, tough predicament for all involved, I'm sure. The UVA win, I think, shows you with Annabelle Shue back in the lineup, who's been out for the majority of the season, that they are, you know, that good in that kind of 12-ish range. And um, and Miami may be cooling off a little bit, I think, down the home stretch. Maybe not the Miami that we saw beat this NC State team earlier in the season. So, But I think both Georgia Tech and Miami are teams to watch in the postseason and in the NCAA tournament. Miami sweeps the top three against Virginia. Virginia takes four, five, and six. All those matches were straight sets. I mean, again, I think both those teams are, are going to play four, three matches in the round of 16. I do think Virginia's a little more suit. Oh, I don't know, man. Like I, I, they're both very equal teams 
in my mind. It makes sense that this was a 4-3 decision that came down to who won the doubles point. And let's be clear, the grind between Shu and Buck Collins at four, yes, it was straight sets. It took plenty of time. You know, they, it provided 4-3 drama. Who's more likely to make Orlando in your mind? Uh... Because I, because in some sense, here's what I, and I apologize. I ask a question, but I would say Virginia, just because I think I feel a little bit better about their doubles point. But like, I don't know. I, I they're pretty equal teams. Yeah, I think you lean Virginia because I feel like they have more more pathways to win. Uh, I think that bottom of when previewing this Virginia team coming into the season, their calling card would have been their depth. And now that they have Shu back in the lineup, that depth looks very strong. It's tough to bet against a team like Miami who has Alexa Noel and Fenning who are firing on all cylinders at that one and three spot. You feel like they have some locks in a way that Virginia doesn't, but this is also a Virginia squad that was just at the final site last year. So they have some of that know-how that this Miami team does not. That's exactly it. You said it perfectly. Miami walks onto the court with the best player in Noel. They also walk in with probably the biggest lock in Noel. And you know they're going to take one of two through four as well. But Collins and Fenning and uh, Achong are winning. You know, they're winning one of those matches. But yeah, Virginia, not only do you feel really good about four through six, but you feel like Subash on the right day can beat anyone at one. Julia Adams finally starting to play a little bit better down the season's home stretch. More pathways is that's perfectly put why you feel a little bit better about Virginia. But look, ACC delivers the goods once again and just about everyone in the ACC Women's Tennis Conference. I mean, again, down the season's home stretch, Boston College, Louisville, even with some of their late season wins, they had shots to get in. Um, Ultimately, it is NC State who emerges as ACC tournament champions. They were not the only tournament champions we saw over the course of the weekend and Look, when an undefeated number one team goes down, you spend a half hour on that opening. But certainly we got to talk about the SEC tournament as well. And we got to talk about Georgia, who gets a 4-2 win over A&M. Now, of course, A&M knocked off the Bulldogs in the regular season. Uh, That match happening in College Station. Now, both of these matches, it's worth noting, were played without Carson Brandstein, the All-American, out with injury uh, for the season for Texas A&M. Uh, you look at the biggest difference, obviously, this time, uh, Georgia is able to take the doubles point. And the big thing for this Georgia team, something you have been calling for for just about all season, we see Leah Ma in the doubles lineup. She plays at the number three spot with Meg Kowalski. They are in a 6-4 victory there. The team also gets a 6-3 victory from Gigi and Maya Rundorn. Started the season at one. They're now at two. You see Mel Riasco, Dashavid Minova have been reunited and placed at the top spot. Now, they got blown out by Goldsmith and Ewing, but still, that's a duo we have seen have success in the past Look, you take a 1-0 lead, it's really hard to beat any of these teams in more than three singles matches. And you look for Georgia, really important straight set win for Riasco over the talented freshman Cupris. They get a straight set win from Gigi over Morales, which given the injury to Brandstein, if you're going to beat Texas A&M, you probably have to get a win at that number six spot. You had really good tennis everywhere else. Again, this one came down to a couple of third sets. And in the end, it's Meg Kowalski, exactly the player, given the experience she has, Georgia would want in this situation. 6-2 in the third over the big hitting freshman, Daria Smetnikov. 
who does this te- what does this win tell you more about Georgia or Texas A and M? Jay. Hmm. Honestly, neither. Uh, I feel pretty much the same. I mean, these two played so close in yeah. College Station. It came down to third set tie breaks in a few matches, you know, doubles point. So, I mean, I think these two teams are are fairly evenly matched. Uh, it was felt like a, a last ditch effort to throw Liam on doubles, but it sort of worked. So I know if Georgia's going to take doubles, I think it's going to be tough for most teams to even find two of the top three. Um, you know, I th- feel like Georgia feels really good there. Kowalski down in the bottom of that lineup. So maybe you start to feel like Georgia's on the better trajectory moving down the home stretch. So maybe you say you feel a little bit better about them. It tells you more about them. Um, but we'll have to see. I think, I mean, both these teams are, are pretty evenly matched. Lapata, Kowalski, GG, four, five, six, no hurdle. For this Georgia team still feels relevant. And yet again, they win the doubles point. They get three singles victories. You're absolutely right. They feel like they're going to take at least two of Vidmanova, Ma, and Riasco. And in this match, they only needed one. And they still ultimately end up in the winner's circle. What this tells me about Texas A&M, and I say this with all due respect, they move from tier 1A to 1B. It's just... You lose someone the quality of Brandstein. Well, and were they in your tier one A with North they, Carolina? They were teetering. And it's just look, they got through the SEC regular season undefeated. You gotta mm-hmm. give them credit for that. That said, of course, we had talks both on and off mic. They'd been good, not elite in going through that season. You know, they were pushed in a bunch of different matches. It did take three set victories, whether it's over Tennessee, whether it's over Georgia. They weren't steamrolling through teams the way Tier 1A teams steamroll, the way we see an NC State do this past weekend, right, at the ACC tournament or North Carolina do all season long. When A&M went up 1-0 with Brandstein, as they just about did in every match because of the fact that you can then move a Ewing and a Goldsmith to two, the fact that you can then put a Cupris at the number three spot and just let her be the wild card there with, uh, with Pilate. They go from being a three point team to like a two and a half point team or a really good two and a half point team. Like, again, they are as good as a Georgia. They beat Georgia earlier this year there. That's why I'm not putting them any lower than tier one B. They can beat anyone on the right day, but the way that Brandstein, I guess, provided them a margin for error, they just don't have that margin anymore. And I do think this match sort of epitomized that fact. Again, you're absolutely right. I think it's stock hold for both of these teams. If one of these teams walk away with a national championship, I'll be surprised, not shocked. And I think that's the definition of tier one B is surprised, but not shocked. Yeah, both these teams are really, really, really good. That's my takeaway from this match. Big picture, but they're both a little vulnerable. Yeah, but I mean, they're consistently been in that next tier, whether you want to call it your tier 1B, tier 2. Like, they've not been in the North Carolina tier, and they aren't, right? Uh, I will actually change my mind about who, who, how I feel differently. I actually feel better about Georgia about this because of their match in the semifinal against Tennessee. That was an all out war. It had everything you'd want in a college tennis match. It had cramping. It had medical timeouts for blood and a third set tie break. Like it had everything. I really did not think Georgia would have the legs in the following day to take a much fresher A&M team. And they not only had the legs, but they beat them. 
And so to do that and use that as an analog for what you will have to do in Orlando, I feel really good about this Georgia team. Georgia's beaten some really good teams this year. They obviously make the national indoor finals. This is their first signature win, though, since probably that indoor semifinal. Because, yeah, they had a really good win over Tennessee during the regular season. That match, though, was in Athens. A neutral site 4-2 victory over AM is a signature Tier yeah. 1 win. I actually agree with you. Maybe it is a little bit of a stock buy for this Georgia team. But you mentioned that Tennessee match. Let's get to the other SEC results. You could see it on the faces of the Tennessee coaching staff. You could see it on the faces of this Tennessee team. They were so close in their 4-2 loss to Georgia. Tennessee taking the doubles point. They get a really good win from Adeshina at the number six spot. They forced third sets at three and four. You know, again, this was a really good match. 10-8 Lapata in the third set breaker over Molinaro. You look for Tennessee right now in the projected rankings. I think they're or right now, excuse me, in the ITA rankings. I think they're currently sitting at 15. I really hope they don't drop out because this team is so clearly top 16 good. And I don't know if they're top eight good, but like you said, it for Virginia, they're like a perfect 12 or like a perfect 13. And this team just they should be hosting the first two rounds of NCAA tournament play. Yeah, I mean, I think they will. I don't think they yeah. will drop out. But I actually think they're probably a tad underranked at 15. Um, they are going to be a nightmare match for potentially Texas A&M. As the yeah. Uh, and I'm sure conference wise, they're like, we want we're like, they're like, Michigan, do you want to beat Ohio State and just jump us? Because we want no part of Tennessee. Like we've done, we've seen that match. We've been there. Yeah. And and but that's where the home home court advantage really plays a factor, right? You see how much closer these matches are on neutral sites or will where different results happen. But yeah, Tennessee would I'm sure much rather go to Michigan, right? Yes. And and take on Michigan in the round of sixteen than they would have to play another match against AM. It's gonna be fascinating though to see also who would go to Tennessee as like a seventeen or an eighteen or a nineteenth ranked team in the country. Like what if it's UCLA that's yeah. sent for some reason to Tennessee? God, would that match be fascinating? And you know, should it rain as sometimes it does in May and that goes indoors for Tennessee? Just if they get you in doubles, good luck finding four singles victories against them in Knoxville. Yeah, they're a fascinating team because they do have that depth. We've talked about it all season long, and it's epitomized here. You have a couple of third set matches at three and four, deciding things 10-8 in the third set. Tennessee's on the level. They know it. It's going to be fascinating to see this team uh, get another shot at a big dog at some point in the NCAA tournament, as I really do think uh, that they will. But looking at the rest of this NCAA, uh, these SEC tournament results, I think three stand out. One, and they're all at the bottom there if you're watching our show here live. Ole Miss over Auburn 4-3. We've said it all year long. To both positives for us fans from an enjoyment standpoint, perhaps a negative for Caroline Lilly's long-term health. Auburn plays 4-3 matches. That's what they do. They are on the wrong end of this one. As such, they're 19th in the rankings. They're not going to be a top 16 seed. Now, they are maybe the most dangerous non-top 16 seed just lingering out there given how calloused this group is. But credit to Ole Miss. It's a massive victory. Tough loss for Auburn in the top 16 hunt. Kentucky 
4-3 over South Carolina made things very interesting from an NCAA tournament perspective from the bubble. Uh, certainly, Kentucky was lingering there for the moment following their victory, although Kentucky currently sitting at number 52 in the rankings. Looks like they're going to sit a little short. I believe we got news today that they're actually going to make a head coaching switch this offseason as well. Fourth SEC job to open here in the offseason, just worth noting. Uh, that one felt relevant and then LSU fighting for their NCAA tournament lives. 4-3 over Arkansas. LSU now 43 in the rankings. Arkansas 44. Jay, your thoughts on everything? Well, I'll just spend a moment on that Arkansas-LSU match. I mean, that was just a, a, a thriller, right? It came down to number six singles. 7-6, seven, 6-7, six, six, seven, seven, six, or whether six. It was three tie breaks, right? But come on. The match comes down to number six singles. There is no one there. It is midnight in Arkansas. And you can't move that match to a court with streaming. Every other court has streaming and court six doesn't. You Playing a full third set tiebreak, a full third set period. You can't move them over one court. I mean, I, I don't understand it at all. Horrible decision. Should have been changed. Brutal to have to watch this from live scoring. Pretty ridiculous because it ultimately probably determined whether or not both of those teams make the NCAA tournament. And so to have an SEC quarterfinal, a birth to the NCAA on the line, and not just to make a decision to, hey, let's move over a court, silly. 47 LSU at the time, 43 Arkansas. I love that there's a match note on the box score that says match went into next day at 12.20 a.m. on Friday. Did yeah, it if no one saw it? RV. Yeah, six seven seven six seven six ten eight second set breaker eleven nine third set breaker. It's the best match no one got to see. Mm-hmm. And look for this LSU program first year with head coach Taylor Fulkman. Massive moment for this group. Huge win for Komar over Gomez Alonso six two in the third. Those have been two of the sneaky best players in the SEC this season. Yeah. This was, this was a crazy match, especially LSU dropped the doubles point in this Arkansas match. And again, Vishwazi, the freshman, to come through in that moment against a Casey Harvey who has seen a ton of stuff throughout the course of her career. And I know she hasn't played as many matches as most seniors have to this point, but still. That's a hell of a win for the freshman Vishwasi. Absolutely notable. I mean, there were, what, four three-set matches in that Auburn-Ole Miss at, uh, battle as well. And I think Ole Miss uh, ultimately what takes the last two. I want to say it was 7-5 in the third to clinch there. And, yeah, just, you know, for Kentucky, they get, what, the uh, the clinching win, I want to say, 7-6 in the third from Edis at the number three spot. And so really good tennis across the board at this SEC conference tournament. Ultimately, Georgia, another SEC tournament victory for the Bulldogs. Let's move now to the Big 12 conference tournament. And, you know, most notably, of course, coming from this one, how fun were the semifinals and finals? As expected, Texas. Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. A lot of parity between those four schools throughout the course of the regular season. That parity delivered. Two, four, three semifinals. Texas over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma over Iowa State sets up a rematch of last year's NCAA tournament final. Texas versus Oklahoma. And this time it was Texas uh, who earned the victory 4-2 
over Oklahoma to earn the Big 12 Tournament Championship for Texas. It's their third consecutive Big 12 Tournament title. This is a group that, of course, features multiple new pieces uh, to the lineup this season, whether it be the freshman Kieran and Rivkin, whether it be a transfer like Patch Kaleva, whether it be a transfer like Zane in the doubles lineup. Again, working in a bunch of new faces. As always, it feels like Coach Joffe's team has slowly but surely progressed throughout the course of this year. And a testament to that fact, they drop doubles in four first sets against Oklahoma. They ultimately come back to earn this 4-2 victory in the Big 12 tournament final. Right now, they're sitting at nine in the rankings. I don't think they're going to be a top eight seed. I did. There's just no pathway for them to it at this point. I don't know. Two-time defending NCAA champs. How dangerous is Texas, Jay? Not very. Uh, (laughs) I don't think they're that dangerous. I think Coach Joffe alluded to a lot of similar issues that they had last year where, you know, tough starts the season and, you know, they've lost uh, Marley Zane from this roster who was a huge contribution in doubles. So doubles does not look like, um, does not look good right now. Um, Look, this is a a Big 12 conference that is not at the same level as it was last year where you had two top teams in the country in Texas and Oklahoma. I I don't know. I don't see it for Texas this year. I think they will go on the road in that round of 16 match and potentially given whoever is the eight seed, maybe they have a chance to make the final site, but it's certainly nowhere near the vibes we got from the big 12 tournament last year where Texas steamrolled through that tournament and firmly announced themselves as a contender going into Orlando. Not the same vibes this year. It's fascinating that the Big 12 is going to get shut out because, again, all these teams are really good. Like Texas is rock solid, and to find four points against them is just – you never know where those four are going to come because I think Rivkin's gotten a lot better at yeah. that number five spot, and her weapons are just real. I think Kieran is a tough out at that top spot. If you have one of the elite number ones, yeah, you're probably going to beat her there. But you need to have one of those elite number ones. And then, again, on the right day, Shavatapan's going to look elite. Rapalu's going to grind. We know what Zainalova is capable of, and she's continued to play at a really high level this season, despite having a tough weekend uh, here at Big 12s. But it's just, again, in the past, you'd be like, all right, doubles is one, Stearns is two, Zainalova's three, and now all we got to do is find one more. And they don't have that clear-cut pathway the way they have in years past. Or, you know, again, 2021, it's Shavatapan's one, and, you know, we're going to win six as well. We're going to get one of Tarati and Stearns. It's just not that clear-cut for the Longhorns this season. You're making a face. That's why well, I paused. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say about, like, how dangerous are they? I think this is a Texas team where they're – uh, their know-how and their belief will over potentially overpower the like lack of talent on paper this year, right? And this is a team that you have a sense believes that they should be at the final site and should be knocking on the door of a national championship. I think you saw that belief down doubles and four first sets against Oklahoma. So while you look at this lineup on paper and it's certainly not nearly as dangerous as the Texas teams these past two years, 
there is an element of belief. I think you've seen this often with the Stanford teams of the past few decades, where even a Stanford team that maybe didn't have the same level of talent, they had that belief. And that can go a very long way in these tournaments, that know-how, that experience. So, you know, that will play a huge factor, even if the 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 roster right now isn't where it has been. Well, you speak of know-how, let's talk about this Oklahoma team. 4-3 win over Iowa State. They drop the doubles point in that match, but get straight set win from Sleep at the number one spot. And then, talk about a fun match. Five three-setters at the two through six position. All of them go to deciding sets. It, Oklahoma ultimately gets wins at two, three, and five. Look, this Oklahoma team's been really good at doubles. Again, they take doubles in first four first sets against Texas. You know, they, they've reshuffled the lineup throughout the course of this season. It's now Pisareva four, Garcia Ruiz five, Staker at six. Staker's played a lot of three set matches. She's just not winning all of them at the rate that she did last season. But I do think she's slowly playing better tennis. Obviously, we've talked about Sleeth getting back outdoors, her finding her form. Guzman's playing lights out tennis, including that 7-5 clinch. She was down a set and a break. What was it, like 6-0-4-1 yeah, in that match one. at two? Um, look, Oklahoma is rounding into form. Like, And you talk about belief. They have, they're going to go to, you know, because they're probably going to be, what, a 14, 15 seed. They have no problem rolling up to a Georgia, rolling up to a Duke, where they have won a match at the kickoff weekend in 2020, uh, in 2022. They got no problem rolling up anywhere and thinking we can beat you in the round of 16. That belief seems to be back, Jay. And I know they fall short in this one, but this, again, it's the Oklahoma team we expected to see at the start of the season. Yeah, well, they'll be glad they're not rolling up to Texas, who they're 0-3 yeah, sure. against this year. And and yeah, I mean, this feels similar to some of the matches we've seen from Oklahoma in the past where they play you know, very tight 4-3 matches. We saw that at indoors we, last year. We saw that at NCAAs last year. And then ultimately they run out of gas, right? Even though they take, for, you know, doubles and four first sets against Texas, they couldn't get over, over the finish line. So this is, again, a very dangerous team. They have been rounding into form and they should feel more confident today, certainly, than they felt maybe midway through the season. But that's why I like the Super Regional format, because it's one match, one weekend. They just need to have that energy. They need to have that belief. And I do think with the talent level being equal, this is a team that has those non-quantifiable qualities that can get you over the finish line in a match like that. And so, again, that they are starting to play better, I think that's why they are so dangerous. Do I think they have the clear-cut pathways to Ford that they did last season? No, absolutely not. It, every match is a little bit of a roller coaster. Again, five three-setters. Iowa State, it's right there. Um, but this team is is playing much better tennis. They're extraordinarily dangerous. I think Oklahoma State is, again, going to be the non-top 16 seed you really don't want to have to face in that opening weekend of NCAA tournament play. Iowa State's not going to be – you know, again, the Big 12 is not going to have a top eight seed. I guess that feels kind of right. I don't know. Where are you with that, Jay? That'll be our final thoughts here on the Big 12. No, I think that feels right. I think at best, maybe there's one number eight team in this bunch, right? But yeah, yeah I mean, it feels like you have a handful of teams that are where they, it feels right, right? Outside the top eight. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, then. Those are your three big power five conference tournaments. Let's end today's uh, recap of last week's action, talking about some of the non-conference, uh, non-power five conference tournaments we saw. I have three big ones on my list. 
we knew Princeton was good. Princeton, they win the Ivy League. Uh, you know, again, I think we we both projected that at the start of the season, but they're officially in SMU. Really dominant season from the SMU women. Really dominant conference tournament. They 4-0 UCF in that tournament final. Good victory. Great weekend for Mustangs tennis, considering what they did on the men's side as well. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. FIU, uh, they win uh, Conference USA. It's a really nice win and obviously guarantees them a berth, but a big result from that conference tournament. Rice, the 4-2 win over Charlotte, kind of putting them on the bubble as well. So that one felt worth mentioning. Those are three that stood out to me. Your thoughts on those and any other conference tournament champions you would point out? Yeah, the SMU women are certainly hot down the home stretch, right? They've been playing some really good tennis. They've vaulted themselves from outside the, you know, 55 all the way into the top, you know, 35. Uh, So they're, they're playing really well. Um, You know, outside of those, you have a lot of familiar faces, we'll say, who have clinched their birth through their conference tournaments. You have teams like Denver winning the Summit League. You have Xavier kind of winning the Big East, William and Mary winning the Colonial Athletics. So I feel like those are staples in the NCAA tournament this time of year in those conferences. A Quinnipiac um, has put together a pretty solid season in the Metro Atlantic. Uh, So overall, you have, you know, a lot of those teams that are you know, who wouldn't get into the NCAA tournament on ranking, but solidifying their birth by winning their conferences. And I feel like generally it was more familiar faces um, in terms of what we're used to seeing for those qualifiers. That's what I was going to ask. Do we have any noticeable, uh, notable upsets, any teams that I don't want to say steal a spot, but that will there by virtue of them winning, you know, again, the NCAA cutoff, perhaps a spot lower because there was a higher ranked team in their conference who you expected to win the conference, probably get in on their ranking. will now have to get on that rank based off of losing at their conference event. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of where that could have happened was in the Conference USA tournament where FIU ended up winning out. I mean, Charlotte, we'll talk about them on the bubble, right? Had they made the finals, they would have secured their spot on ranking, uh, which would have made it tougher for other teams to get in. Um, But I don't think there were a ton of bubble steals uh, this past week. No, I agree with you. I do think there were some relevant regular season results that will factor into our bubble conversation here. And, you know, let's talk about those results now. Obviously, last weekend of conference play in the Big Ten, in the Pac-12, Illinois is going to get in. But they offered some victories for some teams in need of points in this final weekend that just makes the Big Ten Conference Tournament that much more interesting. And I'm going to go to the women's event on Friday for quarterfinal Friday because – I think that's a fascinating day of tennis. Um, You look at the results again, Iowa 4-1 over Illinois, Nebraska, really fun 4-3 victory. Both of those matches in Champaign. Now, I think this Illinois team's an outdoor team. They like to grind. These matches were inside, but again, two wins for two teams on the bubble in Iowa, Nebraska that needed them to keep their season alive. I'll say this. If Northwestern gets to the semifinals, I'm not sure what their seed is in the Big Ten. If they're like the the seven or eight, obviously that gets a little harder. But if they make the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament, that shouldn't shock anyone. They played really good ball this weekend. 4-0 over Nebraska, 4-0 over Iowa. I think this is the team we expected to see all season long. Yes, they're number 60. Yes, they're under 500. I'm just saying keep your eye on Northwestern at the Big Ten tournament. Maryland gets a win over Penn State. Wisconsin, a couple of good wins to kind of end the thoughts of NCAA tournament bids for Purdue and Indiana. Jay, your thoughts on the final weekend of Big Ten play? 
Well, I thought we were kind of going to coronate Illinois for their incredible season this year, the the number three seed in the Big Ten tournament. They still were able to hang on to that, but I was surprised to see them go 0-2 against both Iowa and Nebraska. We'll talk about this Iowa team when we talk about the bubble, but that win really, really helped. Um, So Illinois... Yeah, 45 yeah. in the rankings now. Yeah, and I'll just say it now. So they play Indiana in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Then they will get a rematch with Illinois. That is a win and in match for Iowa. So they, ju- mm. they just did it this past weekend, 4-1. They win and they're in. Would that be the quarterfinals on Friday? Mm-hmm. So Michigan plays at 9 a.m., which is what will get me there from the start of the day. I think the Michigan men play at like 1.30, and I was thinking about dividing my day accordingly between the two sites, Bloomington, West Lafayette, because they're not that far. But 6 p.m. Uh, Iowa, if they beat Indiana, Iowa, Illinois would be 6 p.m. in the quarterfinals. Hmm. I'll tell you what, you after losing Danny Leitner, losing Alexa Noel, if this team can go make the NCAA tournament this year, what a story that would be. And missing the tournament last year, which was a, a heartbreaking loss for them, right? They lost Alexa Noel uh, to, for the season, uh, which was really difficult for that team. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's something to watch this week. We're getting, uh, obviously, I'm fine getting ahead of ourselves. We're near the ending of the show anyways, Jay. Um, Pac-12, Stanford, 6-1 over Cal, USC, UCLA, barn burner, 4-3 Bruins, Hans clinching 6-4 in the third over Snohan. UCLA's getting hot. Like, they have a top 16 pathway. We're going to talk about this in a second here. Well, let's just get into it because we can get into bubble watch based off of these results. And, you know, again, I don't think we have a specific graphic here for the bubble. Let's just talk about it, I suppose, in the rubric of these teams and this best of the rest. UCLA, A, I think they're starting to look top 16 good, Jay. B, if they have a good Pac-12 tournament, are they out of the mix? I hate to break it to you, but yes. Okay. So UCLA won. Even a win over Stanford. Yes. Uh, There are a lot of Pac-12 teams that are outside the top 16 from 16 to 25, right? You have UCLA, Washington, Cal, Arizona State. Mm -hmm. Washington, Cal, Arizona State cannot do it. UCLA even if they do it, is 17. Uh, And the problem is that uh, Florida is pretty firmly in that 16 spot. Now, I haven't run, you could look at on college tennis ranks to see maybe UCLA finds themselves in a uh, head-to-head win over Florida with some of the other factors they consider, like top 50 opponents. Um, But they they would have to win out, win the Pac-12 tournament, and they have a tough road, right? They play Washington round one, they play Stanford round in the semifinals, and then likely the winner of, you know, Cal or Arizona State in the final. It would be a hell of a run. And again, this team is as hot as any team in the country right now as we approach this NCAA tournament. Let's talk more broadly about the bubble. Let's just go through the sections here quickly before we get into our rankings the week ahead to end this show. Top eight seeds, Michigan, again, are they good or not? Michigan, regardless of what happens at the Big Ten tournament, they're going to be top eight, correct? Yes, correct. Stanford. I mean, so Stanford would have to lose in their opening match against a UCLA or Washington, and Pepperdine would have to win out. Um, The big wild card here is Ohio State. 
uh, because Ohio State is currently behind Stanford and Pepperdine right now, but can jump a lot of teams if they win the Big Ten tournament. So if that were to happen and Ohio State jumps Stanford and Pepperdine jumps Stanford, uh, if Ohio- if Stanford takes a loss, then then they'd be out. They'd be nine. Pepperdine averting disaster, uh, disaster, four three win over San Diego. Yeah. Is there any jeopardy? Is Duke in jeopardy at all of falling out or are they good? Like if Ohio State wins the Big Tens, Stanford wins the Pac-12, does that box someone out? Who gets boxed out then? Pepperdine? Well, it would come down to Duke and Pepperdine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Duke is in the in the favored position right now. Duke also has the head-to-head win over Stanford. So, you know, even if, if Duke fell to nine, but Stanford was eight, they likely probably ha- they had have more top 50 wins i'm sure being in the acc so i think duke is is uh sitting pretty but no they don't want to be in the number eight spot place playing uh unc yeah all right well then let's get to the top 16 bubble oklahoma they played their way in right they'll be hosting the first two yeah they're pretty locked there at 13 i try don't see the, them moving try it to the sooners averting disaster after the slow start to their year tennessee locked in yeah miami yeah and then Florida is Florida locked into that 16. It's pretty set. So it's, it's basically Florida versus UCLA is really okay. the top 16 that we're talking about. And, um, you know, you start to like UCLA, like UCLA wins out right right now that puts them. Oh, it looks maybe a few hair hairs above uh, Florida, but I don't know about the head to head. And you do think though, I mean, there are two ways to move up right now, right? You continue to have matches on your schedule and you win, win those matches or the teams that you're beating still have matches on their schedule and they're moving up. The benefit of a UCLA is that, you know, they still got the conference tournaments. Not only can they move up, but teams that they've beaten can also move up, right? Whoever wins, you know, the USC, Cal match is going to move up. Same thing with Arizona State. So uh, UCLA has a path. It's very narrow, though. I like the idea of there being a college tennis fan somewhere who just woke up from a coma and he heard this conversation. He's like, UCLA and Florida are battling for 16? Like, when I was last awake in 2005, they were one and two. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, um, you don't even know. You don't even need to go back to 2005. But yeah, yeah. 2012 or 15 yeah. or 16. 15, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just again, it's a, that's a crazy thing to say out loud. But it speaks to, again, the depth we now see in the women's college game. Last but not least in bubble watch, NCAA tournament bubble. Floor is yours, my friend. What are we watching for? Well, you can read all about it on Tanner Stump's uh, College Tennis Crash Course site. Uh, the final edition of these, you know, bubble watch. Uh, I've written about the ACC and the best of the rest for the non-power five. Uh, so you can go read those and Tanner's written for the other conferences. But right now, and this is where things get really interesting. The story is really Iowa, because right now, Iowa on College Tennis ranks, they're sitting behind Clemson and Syracuse. All outside the cut line, like I mentioned, Iowa beats Indiana, Iowa beats Illinois. They are in. Arkansas will rue that match against LSU. They will be out. They're the ones sitting right above the cut line right now. Everyone else looks okay because there's not a lot of movement, right? You have a lot of Big 12 schools like a Baylor who's just inside, you know, SEC schools like an LSU who's just inside uh, or teams like on the outside in. So, Right now, Arkansas is your last one in. 
they will stay in unless Iowa win, uh, wins two matches in the Big Ten. So that's what's to watch for, folks. Iowa, that's the team. Ugh. I will have to drive back, won't I? I'm supposed to – I mean, I'm not supposed to. I'm flying out to Philly the next morning, 6 a.m. for my younger brother's 21st birthday. Shout out Nicholas Druskin. Happy birthday today to him. I already got a shout out on the mini break, so he's not getting another one here. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to have to stay up. That's the match of the week, and if you have the opportunity to go to it, as I do, I think I will have to be there, Jay. But with all of that in mind, let's look – at our rankings, where things stand. Now, again, I imagine our top 16 is going to look pretty similar to the top 16 we see right now uh, in the ITA rankings, maybe a couple of places different. But again, more broadly, top eights versus the nine through 16s, who those teams are. I think there's going to be a lot of agreement. The big move, of course, North Carolina stays at one for us. NC State up to number two. You then have Georgia three, A&M four. Duke 5, Pepperdine 6, Stanford 7, Michigan 8. Jay, let's start there. I mean, again, those are my top eight teams as well. That feels like the definitive top eight. I agree. Those are my top eight as well. Yeah. Texas 9, Tennessee 10, Oklahoma 11, Virginia 12, Iowa State 13, Ohio State 14, Miami 15, Florida 16, Again, these are my top 16 teams exactly. Maybe the order's a little bit different. I do think it's worth noting. Shout out to Tennessee. We respect them as top 10 team here in that body of work at Crack Rackets. Now, again, I don't know if they're not going to put a banner up in Knoxville saying we've cracked the top 10 of the Crack Rackets rankings, but we acknowledge how good they have been. That's the only thing that feels worth saying here. And that Oklahoma is clearly rising. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Tennessee had a good performance Oklahoma at 11. I think that's the highest they've been in a very long time in this poll. And yeah, I mean, Ohio state's kind of the big question mark. They're the big question mark when it comes to the ranking, you know, you anticipate that we'll see a rematch against Michigan in the big 10 final. I think that will tell us a lot again about where this Ohio state team uh, will fall in these rankings. Vibes, not resume. Who's your 17? Well, I'm going to do this off the cuff. Um, yeah, that's uh, Georgia Tech. Or, yeah, I agree. No, no, I, no. I I actually disagree. UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. yeah, those are the two choices. I'd lean Georgia Tech just because I feel a little bit more confident in them, just because I've watched them more. Truth be told, with all of our ACC, I I know how good they are. Lee Bilchev, up and down the lineup to Garcia Gross and Sharborough. Like that team is freaking good. Um, but so is UCLA. And I'm looking forward to locking in on them this weekend. As you look at the week ahead, two big ones, big 10 tournament, PAC 12 tournament. We've kind of set the scene for each. If you want to spend a little bit more time talking PAC 12, feel free, uh, here, Jay, but let's just go predictions. We'll start with that PAC 12 tournament. What you're watching for who you got. Well, I think UCLA is a team to watch for just because they've, you know, seemed hot. I mean, Cal had had a really good you know, string of results. They, you know, blew out that Arizona State team, but I think Stanford beating them 6-1 kind of said, okay, Stanford is still, you know, a step above there. Uh, I predict Stanford will win this event. They'll complete their undefeated Pac-12 regular season and conference. They haven't lost since indoors, right? So they're a team that I feel like is sitting out West doing their thing and I think could surprise some people come, uh, you know, come, NCAAs, I forget what they were in the cracked rackets poll. Whatever it was, I think they're Seven. too low. 
Yeah, no, uh, they win the Pac-12, they're jumping to six to me, maybe even five, and they'll leap over A&M. Like, I just want to see it one more time, three straight times to consolidate everything we've seen through this regular season. I agree with you, vibes-wise, they are the most underrated on the rise team who have looked really good since the indoors. Um, Yeah, this little team out west called Stanford. I mean, Yeah, I haven't heard of them. Are they good? Uh, What's the track record? Decent? Uh, in the, I mean, the last I saw, they didn't make it out of Pepperdine, uh, to, you know, even the round of, <laughs> what do you mean? They made it to Norman, yeah. Oklahoma last year. Yeah, but I didn't see it. So, uh, you know, again, it's a story for another day. No. Yeah. They're, they're the rising team for sure. Big 10 who you got. I mean, it's tough to go against Michigan here. I think that they've been the more solid team throughout the year. We, I feel like really just haven't seen anything from Ohio state not even since indoors, like before indoors. Uh, so I would go Michigan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching both of those teams play in person because they were both at Seattle Tennis Club. So I never got to watch them play at the indoors. I haven't seen Michigan play since they played Oklahoma in January in person. And for me, that's rare. Uh, and so I'm excited to see that team compete because I want to see that edge. Like I see it on the camera, but I want to see it you know, this Michigan team that it just does feel like they have a chemistry that the elite teams have. Um, and I want to see that and feel that in person, because again, you're right. Like if this team is, is where their ranking puts them at, I want to see them roll through this big 10 tournament. And again, if Ohio state wants to put themselves back in that top eight conversation, go win this big 10 tournament, you're right back in it. And so, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating weekend. Uh, where is the PAC 12 tournament? Oh, hi. Every year, Ohio. Yeah, right. Exactly. That I again, Big Ten should get that with UCLA and USC. <laughs> you know, um, it's not a USC UCLA thing. It's a Pac-12 thing. Yeah, but we should get it because Big Ten. We the I don't know why I identify with the Big Ten. It's just the country I'm uh, the part of the country I'm from. Give us the Ohio. We deserve it. And then we get a, a full outdoor repetition before the start of the NCAA tournament, and everyone can feel a little better acclimated. Speaking of, the Big Ten is in Indiana this weekend. It's in per- West Lafayette for the women. Purdue and Indiana. I meant I meant the state. I was going to ask you, yeah. how's the weather looking? You know, do I look at the weather app? West off, do we know what the weather is this weekend? Are we going to have rain? Are we going to have whatever? Have you looked? No, maybe. It's going to be cold, according to Westoff. That's the. Um, I the guess final. I'm asking: Is this thing going to be indoors? Well, if it is, there's more likely to be cameras. Um, I don't know for whatever it's worth. I don't know. We could get it in. I like the Purdue indoor facility a lot. I haven't seen the Indiana indoor in person. I best singles match I ever played in college. Let's. This is good. This will be story time to end the show, and then we'll wrap because that's how you know it's time to wrap. My junior year of college, no, my sophomore year of college, the Minnesota club tennis team made the club tennis national finals because they had a guy who used to play on the varsity team who was really freaking good. They had a really good singles player who in that national final won his single set 6-3 over a really good guy from Auburn. At Purdue, my sophomore year, I dusted him 6-1 indoor on those Purdue, faci- on those Purdue courts. And I had a ball. Look, I'm a fine mover. I wouldn't say I'm the most natural athlete, but I work pretty hard at it. And I had a ball where he hit an overhead and one of those, like, I ran a court over to track it down and fire back a lob. And, like, first time I'd ever predicted or run that fast in my life. And I walk off the court and my teammate, Amar, looks at me and goes, dude, like, 
I didn't know you were good at tennis until today. Like that was remarkable. And so I will always have that. Those Purdue courts in West Lafayette will always have a special place in my heart. I'm excited to go back there this weekend to watch it all unfold, even if it's going to be cold and force us indoors, Jay, here in Big Ten country. With all of that said, as we wrap today's show, any final thoughts, Jay? Any final insights or reflections from the past week? Well, I, I, this was a great weekend. You know, we had, you know, coverage of a lot of these Power Five conference tournaments. Um, the SEC network was on TV. Uh, the rest of those you could find on kind of various streaming platforms. And look, I mean, it goes a long way when we are streaming these matches with, um, cameras on the court and i think it's great for these players to be able to say hey my match is on the sec network and check it out on tv so it's really great to see really great to see the fans come out for those matches when you look at the carry facility so look i think college tennis is on the rise and it was really exciting to see this past weekend it was excited of these power five conference tournaments only two number one seeds won four upsets you can call them so it was great action across the board and i think it is a harbinger for the ncaa's so enjoyable we're looking forward to doing it again this weekend and throughout the course of may absolutely well with all of that said that'll do it for tonight's edition of the deciding point a shout out as always to john j parsons for sharing his insights you can hear more from jay by heading over to his show the no ad no problem podcast you can read his thoughts on the no ad no problem blog you can read his thoughts with tanner stump on the college tennis crash course website as well those bubble thoughts must reads in my opinion for college tennis fans everywhere of course a shout out to you my friend a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff who makes everything we do here at crack rackets possible a massive thank you to the support we get to uh from our friends at turna and ls as well without whom these shows would not be possible with all of that said for the fantastic john j parsons for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at ls and turn on from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow night. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.